too. We talked a few verses of it, but I think for the sake of making a timely connection in it, we'll go back and start the first verse and maybe not spend quite as much time on the first few verses because we've already taught them down to about seven or eight, I think, nine. So we'll start again with verse 1. Psalm 102, verse 1. The psalmist said, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Now here's a, a plea to be heard. He says, Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. So the psalmist here is showing the urgency of his prayer. A, a desire to really be heard. By the way, before we go very far, let me say that if in certain ways we could apply all these things to the Lord Jesus Christ. The last several verses uh, do apply, apply directly to Him because we have it quoted in the book of Hebrews how that the Father is speaking to the Son. And before we get into the, the uh, prayer here, we call this the prayer of an afflicted saint. Uh, let me just give you a brief division of how it could be applied if we apply the whole psalm to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus hanging on the tree or on the cross is speaking to God in verses 1 through 11. And then the Father is speaking to His beloved Son, verses 12 through 15. And we have the proof of that, by the way, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 8, because verse 12 is referred to. And then in verses 16 through 21, we find the speaker is evidently the Holy Spirit describing the future restoration of, of Israel. And then in the last verses, verses, well, not the last verses, but verses 23 and 24, the Savior is, is heard again as He suffers at the hands of, uh, of God for our sins, bearing our sins in His own body on the tree. And then verses uh, 24 through 28, Again, we refer to Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 10 through 12 show us definitely that uh, we know that the Father is speaking here to His Son because it's quoted directly. And so the latter part we will apply directly to God the Father speaking to His Son. But meanwhile, we've entitled this psalm the prayer of the afflicted saint because in the afflictions of the psalmist, we can not only see the sufferings of Christ in the future, or at the time of the psalm, in, it was in the future, uh, in the sufferings of Christ in his life and on the cross, but we can see how it applies to each and every one of us individually. And so it has a kind of a threefold application. First of all, the psalmist was going through these things of afflictions. And then he was speaking prophetically of Christ's sufferings, uh, many of the same things. And in some of the words, it's almost... Uh, uh, identical with what Jesus cried in one way or another through his sufferings. And then it's also inclusive of you and I as we undergo these fiery trials. And you know, we sing the song, some through the, the water, some through the floods, but all through the blood. All go through the blood of Christ. And so we are led along by the Lord through all of the trials that we endure. So verses 1 and 2 have to do with a plea to be heard. Let's look at it again. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear. In other words, it's as if bend your ear aside that you can hear what I'm saying. In the day when I call, answer me speedily. Some of our prayers are urgent. Some of our prayers do need to be heard soon or as quickly as possible. And then... If they're not, we leave it to God's wisdom to know 
that uh, it was not for our good to answer so speedily and he asked that we have patience and then he'll give the answer in the proper time and in the proper way. Look at verse 3. We find his life was short. He says, My days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as an hearth. He not only had a short life, but he had a, a body that was in pain. The Bible says, What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. He says, Like smoke, consumed like smoke, like a vapor. His bones are burned as an hearth. Job of old said, My skin is black upon me, and my bones are burned with heat. And so Job felt much the same thing as the psalmist felt. Verse 4, he says, My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. It seems that his heart was filled with sorrow. And we know that Jesus said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. If the psalmist was filled with sorrow and Jesus was filled with sorrow, we also, at times of our affliction, are filled with sorrow. You know, uh, you've seen people that say, Well, my sorrows, my trials are so great. There's not anything that you and I have endured but what Jesus has gone through. And the psalmist definitely went through some of these things. So, verse 5, my, By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. His voice was getting weaker all the time. He says in verse 6, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. His spirit was very low. And the, these two... The pelican and the owl are symbolical or emblems of gloom and, and wretchedness. In other words, he felt that he was in gloom and, and wretchedness. He was low of spirit. Verse 7, I am, I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon, upon the housetop. His friends had forsaken him. Sometimes you and I feel alone. Paul felt alone. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Can you imagine the beloved Apostle Paul in his life and ministry said, All men forsook me. He says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas, one of his close uh, colleagues. And then Jesus said that his disciples would forsake him and, and flee. He says, All the disciples forsook him and fled. So you and I need not expect to be better than someone, uh, than Jesus or than Paul or others that have been forsaken. I watch him and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Mine enemies reproach me all the day and they are mad against me. They that are mad against me are sworn against me. They're sworn to do evil. This happened again to Paul. We know that uh, it certainly happened to, to Jesus. They had sworn to, to put Jesus to death. His enemies planned to kill him. And as far as Paul was concerned, remember those Jews that came, they were bound themselves with an oath that they would kill Paul. They would do away with him. They bound themselves together with an oath. They made a pledge. And then verse 9, For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of thine indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. His appetite was gone, and the punishment was very severe. You know, Jesus, that tenth verse may show us the sufferings of Jesus. Look at that tenth verse. Because of thine indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. What did Jesus cry out on the cross? He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why 
Why am I lifted up and why am I cast down? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that after Jesus had cried with strong crying and tears, he made prayer and supplication to God. And it says it was heard in that he feared. He was heard in that he feared. I believe it's Hebrews chapter 5. So Christ, and it refers to Christ, who in the days of his flesh offered up strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. The word feared means reverence to God. And he put himself on the line. And he suffered the indignities of the cross. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet God heard him in the midst of all of, the, all of his sufferings and gave him victory over that suffering even on the cross. And so on the cross, Jesus cried, I thirst. He cried, It is finished. And then, last of all, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So he still was heard in that he feared. And he committed himself to God. The last words of the cross. Now then, uh, let's look at verse uh, 11. It says, My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. We know this is true of man. It was true of the psalmist. It's true of man in general. Our days decline like a shadow, or like a shadow that declineth. Like a shadow would be one thing, but like a shadow that declineth really puts an added dimension to it, doesn't it? And then it says, and I'm withered like grass. And you know, if you'll stop and think about it, we apply that to man in general as his days are short and life is fragile. And we're like grass that withers and the flower thereof fadeth away. And we find it again in the 103rd Psalm with some more about that, the next Psalm. But if you'll think about that for just a moment... Uh, think of how it might have applied to Jesus because Jesus was only 33 years of age when he was cut out of this life humanly speaking or as far as this earthly life is concerned in the prime of life we have some young people that have not reached reached that age yet we have many that have already reached that age and passed it but think of being cut off if you knew and even some of these young married couples and some of the younger couples if you knew that you were going to die at 33, that's a very short life, isn't it? And Jesus knew that he was going to be to die and die for the sins of the world. And uh, most of us have lived much longer than that that are here tonight. And the others expect a good long life. And we hope and pray that they will have a long life. And in, by the grace of God, they will. But anyway, my days are like a shadow that declineth. I am withered like grass. But thou, now he turns to the Lord, but thou, Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Remember it was said of Jesus that he should be forever and ever. It t- tells about the heavens being dissolved, but it says, but thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And so this verse, if we go over in Hebrews chapter 1, we can find where it definitely applies. And I believe it would be verse uh, 12. I mean, verse 8 here, verse 12 here, and verse 8 over in Hebrews 1. Let's see if I have Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, verse 8. And I'll give you that quickly. But the whole latter part of this, we'll come back to this passage later on. It says, But under the sun, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. It is forever and ever. Now, back in Psalm... 102 verse 12 But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever and thy remembrance unto all generations. Verse 13 
Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. You know, even though the psalmist's days were few and his life was, was worthless, and the Lord and his memorials endure forever, the Lord does have seasons of mercy for his people. Look here. A set time is come. A season for mercy for Israel. Look at verse 13. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, his people, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. So there are special times and special seasons for God to have mercy upon his people. And then we find in uh, verse 14, it says, For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. The Lord's servants love Zion. And then the Lord's enemies are brought under subjection. Look at verse 15. It says, So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. Look at that. The heathen shall fear the name of the Lord. The Lord's enemies are going to be brought under his subjection. There's a day that all nations, all nations that are not Christian nations, all people shall be brought under subjection. The Bible says that his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. In verse 16 it says, When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He's going to build Zion again. There are many prophetic references to the Lord building Zion. Verse 17, He will regard the prayer of the destitute and, uh, and not despise their prayer. He'll answer the prayer of the needy. God is always concerned about those in need. And then notice in verse 18, This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Even unborn generations shall praise the Lord. Unborn generations. In verses 19 through 22, let's read those together. For he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth. God sees all from where is from his vantage point, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the people are gathered together in the kingdoms and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. What do you find? The Lord looks down from his sanctuary and he responds to all of our needs. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, we find that he looks down upon men's needs, and one day he shall satisfy all those needs. And you know, old uh, Solomon prayed in his dedication of the temple, and he said, Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. So Solomon prayed that God would hear from his sanctuary or dwelling place in heaven. The Lord looked down from the height of his sanctuary, verse 19. And then verse 23, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. His strength and his life, the afflicted saint, his strength and his life were weakened. He shortened my days. This could be true of Jesus as far as his earthly life was concerned because he was cut off for the transgression of my people, the Bible says he would be smitten and be cut off. And he was cut off at a very early age. We referred to it earlier. In verse 24, he says, I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. He had a desire to live longer. 
Jesus had a desire to live longer, but he knew God's purpose and plan for his life. And he said, Mine hour has come that I should depart out of this world unto the Father. Every man loves life. And even the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity, he said, in the Gethsemane uh, agony, he said, Father, uh, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering and these dregs of the cup of death that I'm about to drink. And yet that was the flesh or the humanity crying out. But he knew that he had come to do the Father's will. And he said, Now mine hour has come that I should depart out of this world unto the Father. And remember before, when they sought to get rid of Jesus time and time again, it says he disappeared out of their sight, for his hour was not yet come. Nothing could happen till that time that he was to be taken out of this world. And then I want you to notice uh, verses 25 through 28, and you'll see the definite reference to Hebrews 1 that we've been talking about. He was a creator of all things. It says, of old, of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth. By the way, I'll read all of this, and then, then we'll uh, uh, quote Hebrews chapter 1, a certain section of that to apply to it. It says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. This is what uh, Paul quotes in Hebrews chapter 1, and he says that the Father here is speaking to the Son. And he quotes it from this psalm. And we'll go to that in a moment. It says, They shall perish, but thou shalt endure, thou shalt remain. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them, uh, shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. And the reason I'm putting different words in there is because I quote Hebrews, which varies a little bit from this. And uh, I'm so used to quoting it that uh, I'm even reading it into this psalm. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. In Hebrews it says, Thy years shall not fail. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. Now in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, But unto the Son, listen carefully. It says, But unto the Son he saith, and this is verse 8 that we quoted a little bit ago, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And then he says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And then coming to verse 25 in our psalm, and then in Hebrews 1, it says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy ears shall not faint. So, you can see definitely that uh, it's the Father speaking to the Son, though we find this psalm here given. It's quoted in the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. There's some dispute that fact, or that, that uh, some dispute it. When I say I believe that Paul wrote it, I cannot say fact if I don't know that he did. So I say some dispute it, but I believe Paul did write it. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he applies this to the, to the Father speaking to the Son and quoting it from this psalm. So when we read the latter part of this psalm, we don't have to guess whether or not the Father is speaking of the Son because we have evidence in the New Testament that he was speaking to the Son. Because Hebrews 1 verse 8 says, But unto the Son, He, that is the Father, He saith. 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness, a scepter of thy kingdom. So he refers to it. Uh, if you want to compare this psalm with Hebrews chapter 1, it would be well if you do that. I'd like for us to look at the 103rd psalm now, and uh, we'll get into it for our studies. And this is praise from a mature saint. The other was the, the psalm of a, an, and the prayer of an afflicted saint. But I want you to look at Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. So this first verse, we find wholehearted praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, from the depths and the inmost depths of my being. He says, And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Others may bless their uh, gods. Others may bless their uh, prophets and their, uh, well, what should I say, successes and things of this life. But the psalmist said, bless the Lord, oh my, bless the Lord. Not anything else. Not anyone else. Oh my soul. And he doesn't say with a half-hearted way, but all that is within me, bless his holy name. I wish we could reach that height, don't you? that the psalmist has, has reached, well, do, does everything within us bless the Lord? Sometimes we're very slack and shallow in this manner, in this matter, I should say. And so we do not reach and excel to where the psalmist is. And he says, bless his holy name. His holy name stands for his character, his person, his attributes. Bless his holy name. In other words, recognize him as God who is holy who is righteous, who is good, who is merciful, who is sovereign in all of his actions and dealings with mankind. And then it says, Bless the Lord, Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We say, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Forget not all his benefits. It doesn't say forget, just not to forget some of them, or the good ones, or the big ones, or the, what we consider to be at the top of the scale, but all of them, all of God's benefits come to us through mercy and grace. And then notice it says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. God is a forgiving God. He forgives sin. The Bible says that that, uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all, to forgive all of our sins. But I want you to notice this. It's worded, Who forgiveth. That's a continuous action. He's not only forgiven us, that's past. He not only forgives us, that's that's a thing that is done, present, complete. But He forgiveth all our iniquities. Look at that. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Not just part of them. And then He healeth, who healeth all thy diseases. He's the one that heals diseases. He's the one that can heal all of our diseases. We might say, why are not all people healed of all diseases? Well, there's another question that comes into mind. Because sometimes it's in God's purpose and plan that we suffer a little while while we're upon this earth. It's sometimes in God's plan that we have to endure for a while. Job of old suffered severely under his trials, didn't he? And he was smitten from the top of his head to the sole of his feet with sore balls. He sat out in an ash heap and put ashes over his head, a sign of mourning and, and grieving. 
and sorrow. And he took a piece of broken pottery, a pot shirt it says, and scraped himself with all. In other words, on his body, he was so eaten up with sores, so diseased. Most of us haven't suffered that much. But the thing about it is, God did deliver him in due time, finally, after he had undergone a great deal of sufferings in his life. And he restored, uh, gave him twice as much at the end as he had at the beginning. You know, he had camels and, and, uh, and uh, all kinds of animals. And it told how many thousand of each one, sheep and oxen. And it says that God gave him twice as much as he had at the beginning. He had seven sons and three daughters. Twice as much. I think I've given you this before. He gave them the exactly twice as much. Say he had 5,000 camels and I'm not going back. Well, he gave him 10,000. And oxen doubled that. And, uh, and sheep and all, all. He doubled all those. But when he come, came to sons and daughters, it says he gave them ten sons. I mean, seven sons and three daughters. You know, just like he had. But I thought he gave them twice as much. Well, he couldn't do that because he still had those. They were just gone to heaven. So he still had twice as many sons and daughters as he had to start with. You see the difference between animals? He doubled the animals, but he only gave them as... It says he gave them twice as much as he had at the beginning. But he lost his sons and daughters. But yet they were not lost because they had gone on to heaven through death. And so if he had gave them twice as many of those, he'd had three times as many, wouldn't he? You see that all, all through the Bible, God's Word indicates that man is a different creature and goes to a different place than beast creation. And there's so much proof of it just flowing through the Scripture that you can pick it up here and there and find wonderful things about it. All right, let's drop on down to verse um, 3. Who healeth all thy diseases. And verse 4 says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. He redeems from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He not only gives us loving kindness and tender mercies, but He crowns our lives with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies. And He satisfies thy mouth with good things. You know, I don't believe there's any person that is truly satisfied that is not a Christian. You say, preacher, that's far out. No. Because the Lord only gives true satisfaction. I think in order to be truly satisfied, you have to be a child of God. Because he, it says, He, look, who satisfies thy mouth with good things? It's God that does that. And people that do not have God are not satisfied with those good things. You remember me telling you the story of the, the man over in England under the, in a revival meeting. And the preacher invited everybody out and he says, uh, I'm going to uh, prove that... Uh, you can't be satisfied without the Lord. And this one guy with bonds or money and pounds and lands, possessions, came in. He was going to disprove the evangelist. And so when the statement was made, he said he, the, the preacher said he'd give a thousand pound note to, to uh, anyone that could prove to him that he was satisfied without God. And the man jumped up and says, I'm satisfied. He says, I've got this much money and I've got this much in the bank and I've got these farms and I've got this land. He says, I'm perfectly satisfied. And he started down the aisle and he said, give me that thousand pound note. The preacher said, no, you can't have it. You know why? He says, if you're satisfied, you wouldn't want it. He didn't want the thousand pound. He just had to have that. He was not satisfied in spite of all that he professed. And sometimes, you know, true satisfaction comes from God. 
And the only way you can be happy, true happiness comes from God. Uh, true pleasure comes from God. The pleasures of this world are all temporal. Remember, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He was not going to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, and he chose rather the sufferings with the people of God. How many people would we have nowadays that would make that kind of a choice? Well, the pleasures are there with the Lord. It says, uh, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, let's go on down. It says in verse <coughs> verse uh, 5, So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Your strength, remember old uh, Moses? The Bible says he lived to be 120 years of age. And it says his eyes were not dim and his, his strength had not abated. He still had his full vitality of life. And only God can do that. Can give you quality of life to the end. And we trust him for that. Some of us may grow old. We may grow feeble. We may be incapacitated. We may not have that quality of life. But God can give it if he so desires. He can give that right up to the end. And I trust He will for all of us. I know I pray that for myself. I want to be active and able to serve. And uh, even though my speech may become a little difficult or other things in my life may become more difficult, I still want to be able to function and function well until God sees fit to call me home. I'd like to, the best thing I can think of, I'd just soon be standing right here preaching when it happens. The Lord say, Brother Joyce, Time for you to go. You call a, call them over there and say, "Come get Brother George." Really? That I just assumed that'd be that way. Just go right on. So the Lord knows about that too, but it, it's all in His hands. We can't do anything about it. Neither would we try. There's so many people. You know, how many people are going to these psychics and writing them and calling them on the, the phone and conversing with them through the advertisements on television and all that. Did you know I just found out yesterday, I believe it was, when I saw it on uh, the news, that the FBI had paid psychics through the years millions of dollars to help them do their work. Had them on the payroll, millions of dollars of taxpayers' money for them to try. And they found out it didn't work. They found that it was mostly not worth the money they paid for. And by the way, do you really want to know what's going to happen to you Six months from now, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm going to take it a day at a time. Some people say, well, I want to know if there's any, any wealth in my future. If I'm going to inherit something, if, I'm, if it's going to turn out good, you better just take it a day at a time because you might have some, something read into it that you don't want. And then you might have a falsehood read into it as well. But the thing about it is God has control of today and tomorrow, and let's leave it up to Him. And take it a day at a time. James says, You know not what shall be on the morrow. For your life is even as a vapor that appears a little time and then vanishes away. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And if thou knowest not, and God said you do not know, He didn't say, I've given you someone over there to go to, and they'll tell you what's going to happen. So don't fool with them. Don't waste your money on them. You know, there's a, there's a group now that's advertising... Now, we're the real, genuine. Don't fool with these fake psychics. We're the real, genuine psychics. You, t- you talk to us. We've got a whole nation of... It's all uh, like under one big uh, 
corporation. In other words, they, they're the genuine ones. And the others are fakes. How are you going to know that they're not fakes and the others are not the genuine ones? Personally, I don't want to have anything to do with any of them. I'm going to take it a day at a time. If I had something bad happening to me tomorrow, I wouldn't want to suffer for it today thinking about it. Would you? How many of, of you have ever had an appointment with a doctor and say, I've got a, I've got a terrible bit of surgery to go through, and you dread it until the time comes and it's over? You sure do. If you're just taken in there at the doctor's office and say, you've got to do surgery on you right now, and they take you in there and do the surgery, you wouldn't have to worry about it two weeks or a month before of course, they don't do that, and I can understand why. But I'm just saying, you do worry about things in the future that you expect uh, that's going to cause you some problems. So the very knowledge of things in the future that are, are, are not uh, the best for you, or at least that you feel like you dread or fear, it does you this much harm to know it ahead of time that you've got to endure it till that time comes. Just like we know we're going to die someday. But let's don't die every day thinking about it. Aren't we all going to die? Unless the Lord comes. Young and old, boys and girls, men and women, every one of us is appointed unto man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. But on, on the other hand, do you, are you going to fear about it and waste your whole life worrying about it until the time comes? Don't do that. That's foolish. Okay, let's go on this. It says in verse 6, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. God is a righteous judge. And He executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. And then I want you to notice verse 7. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. You need to... Let's camp there on that one a minute. You need to mark this. He made known his ways, underline ways, under who? Under Moses. And then underline acts, his acts, A-C-T-S. In other words, his wonders, his miracles, his doings, his acts under the children of Israel. You see, Moses knew what God wanted. He wanted to know his way. He wanted to know more about God. He didn't want to just know what he was, had done. He wanted to know what, why he was doing it. And Moses went up on the mountain to commune with God. Remember? And God showed him his ways. Look in the book of Exodus chapter 33. Let's begin reading with verse 12 quickly. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou, thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and hast also found grace in, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Verse 13 now, Exodus 33, verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, look here, Moses says, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. What did Moses want to know? He didn't say, show me your miracles. Show me that you're going to miraculously take care of the children of Israel in their needs. Moses had known the miracles of God, but he says, now I want to know your way, and I, that I may know thee. Remember the Apostle Paul says, listen, Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul wanted to have a more intimate knowledge of the Lord. See, there's a difference in, in seeing what he does and knowing who he is. And Moses says, I, uh, show, me, show me now thy way that I may know thee. You get that? 
He made known his ways unto Moses, now listen, and his acts unto the children of Israel. Remember in the New Testament, people says, Lord, show us a sign. You know, the unbelieving Jews, the people round about, says, show us a sign and we'll believe you. But remember the disciples, the close ones to him, John the Beloved leaned on Jesus' bosom and he, he knew all about the secrets of, of Jesus' teachings. He knew His ways. Some people only want to see the outward miracle take place. They don't want to get close to God and know His ways. They want to see a miracle. Do a miracle. and we, you know, Then we'll know you. No, you won't know God by those things. That's evidence that He is God. That's evidence He has power. But to know Him is a different thing. To draw closer to God is a different thing altogether. And Jesus said, A wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign or a miracle or a wonder. And He says, There will be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And He says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish or in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of the man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And He said, This is the only sign you're going to get is what? What was the sign? Three days and three nights? The, be, the best sign in the world of Christ and of His power and of His love and of His grace is what? Death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel, the cross of Christ, His burial, and His resurrection. See, that's what we're to declare. We're not to go around and declare, now if you see this happen, you'll know it's God. Some little miracle, some little, and I say little miracle because some people are just looking for some kind of a mysterious doing that they'll call a miracle. What do you want to know tonight? Do you want to know what God's Word says and how to follow it and how to draw closer to God? Or do you want to see some, something happen that you say, well, that must be God because this happened? Which do you want to know? Remember, the New Testament tells us that in the book of Revelation, that uh, the Antichrist is going to work miracles. The beast is going to work miracles by which he deceiveth them that have the mark. It says in Thessalonians that he will, that man of sin will come with all signs and lying wonders, wonders or miracles, and cause people to believe a lie that they all might be condemned. God will give them a strong delusion and let them believe that lie. See, if you're just looking from the outside, you're looking too far away. You need We walk not by sight, but by faith. We need to look inwardly into God. Look at that verse again. Psalm 103, and we'll close with this. It says, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. Why did He make known His acts or His wonders to the children of Israel? Because that's all they would live by. was miracles. They wouldn't live by faith. Moses was going by faith. And they had to go by sight. They had to see it to believe it. They're like Thomas. Show us and we'll believe. Thomas says, Except I see the nail, the places in the nail, uh, where the nails pierced his hand, and, and thrust my finger into the nails of his hand, and, and into the pl- place, uh, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And by the way, if you study the record, the time before when Jesus appeared to the disciples, it says He showed them His hands and His feet. The very time that, that Thomas missed, he would have had the evidence of what he wanted to see, but he missed church that time. You see, the very time that you miss is usually the thing that you need in your life. Have you ever thought about that? The evidence you need to 
discharge all the doubts and fears that you've had or all the questions, they were probably answered at the time you missed. I'll have people go out the door and they say, and I'll close with this. They say, Brother George, why don't you preach on this or so-and-so? Give me a subject. I said, I have. Where were you when I did? 